Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello, Andrew. One last time for the regular season, the finale against Detroit. It's meaningless for them in terms of postseason because there are no hopes for that, but it's not meaningless for us. We're going to tell you plenty of reasons why you should care about this game, maybe what they should do versus what they're going to do, maybe their draft positioning, all that kind of stuff. Mike, you guys shouldn't be so skeptical when I say it's not meaningless. Because Mike, you wrote, you wrote we're both sitting about, here like making you wrote, faces. We're making faces at Andrew. Sorry. You wrote all about how this is going to affect their draft positioning, and they could be as high as number they nine could. if they, they somehow could. lose to, to the line. Yeah. Oh, they could too. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get into the Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, tragedy actually, and he, the fact that he's out, and Riley Reef being on the COVID list, um, and you know that likely, uh, you know, spelling the end of his season and what that means for his contract is another question i'd like to ask pick ben's brain about that but um yeah it was, it, you know the interesting thing is they could finish anywhere from 9th to 15th you know they'll probably be right around where they are right now which is 13th more interesting thing to me than you know some bad teams winning or losing sunday is remembering that uh after they make that number one pick they don't pick again till like the mid 70s because of the ngakwe trade so they got to make this one count like they've got a whole bunch of picks. They've got like two third round picks and three fourth round picks, I think, because they got one from the Diggs trade and one from a trade with the Bears last year that, that they got a fourth rounder. So they've got some capital to maybe, you know, move up. But if, if we're talking about a team that's got a lot of holes to fill, anyway, moving up, yeah. We'll yeah, I made a face of that one too. Yeah, trade down, get a bunch more fifth rounders, sixth rounders, a lot more, uh, a lot more darts at the dartboard. But, uh, you know, no, I mean, but. So if we're talking about a team that obviously has a lot of holes this year, um, you know, and, and, and needs uh, beyond just the, the injuries they've had, um, you know, they, they're not going to get a lot of immediate blue chip, at least help in the draft. So they really are going to be under the, under the gun to nail that first round pick. So that Ngakwe pick could end up being like 41 or 42, I think it's 44 right now. Yeah. It could get higher if they lose Sunday. Yeah. Um, it could be up around 40 if they, if they lose. And then the one they're getting back from Baltimore in the third round is obviously pretty low and it is kind of variable based on whether, you know, Baltimore is in the postseason and how far they, how far they go in the postseason. but there's going to be a gap of about 40 to 45 slots between what they got and what they gave up for, for Nagakwe. For six weeks of Nagakwe, sorry. Yeah, for, for six weeks. And I guess they can only change about six spots in terms of their own draft order for that first-round pick that you talked about. Um, Still your sack a, leader for the 2020 Vikings, though. Yeah, I saw that stat. Who wrote that? Which one of you wrote that the other day? I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I think he's, he's got – is it the five sacks still leading, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Well, now they um, felt like he was pursuing those in a manner that was not particularly – um, copacetic <laughs> with the way they like to play. Like his middle name was Jared. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, he went to Jared. Let's. He went to Jared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he is still your sack leader. Ah, yeah, that's Perfect. that's emblematic of the kind of year they've had on defense. And I don't think much is going to change defensively in terms of going to Detroit because um, they've already been playing all their young guys. So it, it's basically just 
down to why would Eric Kendricks rush back? He's not on injured reserve, which keeps that door open. Um, but Ben, when we're looking at this roster, they're going to be without Kyle Rudolph, who could have played his final game for the Vikings. They'll be without potentially Riley Reef, who was placed on the COVID list, as Mike said. Um, maybe it's his last game with the Vikings as well. Um, and they're going to be without potentially Eric Hendricks again. And I just don't know why he would rush back. So those are the kind of decisions they've got to make. And then, of course, the news today comes out um, that Dalvin Cook's father passes away. So he's away from the team. Um, Alexander Madison was in the concussion protocol, still working his way back. In terms of those decisions to make in terms of forcing guys out there, I don't think we're going to see a lot of those injured guys deciding to play. No, I, I looked this up this week um i guess it was looked it up yesterday because i was on with barrero and he was asking this question and the last time they played a meaningless finale would have been 2016 against the bears um a game that many of us didn't watch because we were uh in the stands trying to figure out when the protesters were going to come down from swinging for the rafters and texting brian murphy or actually i think taking a phone call for brian murphy while they were up there you guys remember that? I think he called the guy who put his number out, and Brian Murphy called him while he was swinging from the those chandeliers up there, and um, talked to him about protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. But uh, that would have been the last meaningless finale they had. Um, Seventeen was oh. they were still trying to get a buy, and I think that was the one where Zim talked about um, getting into the red wine if if they win and they get a buy. 18, of course, they lost to get in. And 19, I guess, was meaningless, but we knew ahead of time that they were going to rest starters because it was, you know, the, the bite or the playoff position was locked up. So yeah. where there was no playoff possibility, 16 was the last time, and they played most of their starters. They rested <clears throat> some injured guys. I think Everson Griffin did not play in that game. You know, he, I think, was coming back from an injury. Um, Sam Bradford did not for some reason or another. Actually, no, Bradford did. Bradford um, played, they, yeah. Yeah, they had a couple other starters that I think were injured that didn't rush back for it. But most of the healthy starters played in that game, and um, I would expect that the approach will be fairly similar on Sunday. I think Cousins will be out there. I think Jefferson, Thielen, um, you know, anybody that's healthy enough to go, I would think would play. Yeah, and this actually, we've got a good question. We'll get to a lot of the questions here um, on the back half of the podcast. Um, but one of them is along this topic, and it was basically asking, why aren't they taking this opportunity to look at guys like Nate Stanley, Jake Browning, some of their backup quarterbacks? Um, I guess, Ben, to me, it comes back to, and Mike, I want to get your thoughts on this too, but it comes back to what Cousins said today about, I guess they're, they're trying to look at this as like the beginning of what he called the 2021 season and just try to start off on a new foot and get go out on a good note. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they're saying. I mean, the reality, I think, is that Mike Zimmer does not like to rest players. I mean, you remember last year in that last game before the playoffs when they played the Bears, he talked about going back and forth that whole week on do I sit guys or not? I mean, and it was – fairly obvious that there was nothing to be gained by playing them. But when he did it, it was after a whole week of, of going back and forth and, or at least saying that he was going back and forth about it um, and not playing those guys in the end. But I think in, you know, he's talked about his preseason record before with, you know, probably a little bit of tongue in cheek to it, but probably not completely. I think he, I mean, he said before, if they're keeping score, I want to win. And Let's face it, 
seven and nine doesn't look as ugly as six and ten. And yes, it it means it's not a good of a draft pick, but if you are, you know, we've heard him talk about his winning percentage before. We've heard him talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the team being competitive and the contract extension. The reason Mark Wilk gave for it was body of work. So if you can say we've never been worse than seven and nine, we've never had double digit losses. I think on some level, those things probably matter to the resume. So I, I do think they go out and try to win it as, as best as they can. I, I don't think you do anything stupid with guys like Kendricks that are there's nothing to be gained from putting them out there. But I think if you're healthy, they're probably going to have you play. Yeah, Mike, I don't think any, anybody thinks they're going to tank for a better draft pick, but by playing Kirk Cousins, it is a different approach than getting a totally different look at, let's say, their third quarterback. Yeah, and I don't know what you would learn from one game against a team that's similarly, you know, got nothing to play for. I think Ben's point is a good one. I think there's an optics thing here. You know, seven and nine does look better. If you lose this game, you tie for the worst record in the NFC North. You tie with the Lions at six and ten. And you finish with four straight losses. You finish with four straight losses. It's a 10 loss season. Not like that's, you know, again, it, it, you, you put a, a double digit loss number out there, even if it's, you know, even if you understand the why and the what of it, it does, it does look different. I'm sure, you know, Kirk Cousins wants to win. You know, he's, he's had a very up and down season, a very up and down career. Actually, just looked at it, his career record as an NFL starter would be exactly 500. If he wins this game Sunday, he'd be like 51, 51 and two. He's never won more than 10 games. He's never lost more than nine games, I think. So he's, he's always been between seven and 10 wins. So, you know, maybe keep, keep that going. So I, I yeah, I think you don't, I don't, I don't even know if there's anything wrong with playing your starters in, in this game, as long as you're right. It's not the Kendricks or, you know, even someone like Madison, if there's a question of whether he's all the way back from, you know, concussion protocol. Um, I think there'd be some intrigue uh, to be gained. And maybe, you know, maybe if the game gets lopsided, I'd rather see, you know, Jake Browning than Sean Mannion or something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you still play to win. You're still trying to impress the zero fans. <laughs> or how, how many fans are at Ford, Ford Field this time? But, uh, you know, it's, I still think there's some value in winning, even if it's marginal value. Yeah, you'll hear, I mean, it's the argument we hear out of um, places like the Jets and these lowly teams that um, will get asked, why are you winning? Like, why are you still trying when you're 0-12 and you're trying to get that number one pick? And it's the culture argument. It's, uh, I think actually Jason Kelsey with the Eagles uh, Center, I'm sure some people have seen this. There was a clip he had a few weeks ago um, that went viral because it was like a two minute speech about how winning is the only thing that matters to veteran players and how you do lose a locker room. If you are clearly making decisions to try to lose games. Um, and I thought that was interesting, but anyway, nobody's saying the Vikings are going anywhere near that direction. However, when it comes to injured guys, as you said, and then I think some younger guys um, that maybe haven't gotten looks at certain positions, um, Riley reef going on the, the COVID list is a really interesting one because what would they do at left tackle if he missed that game? Are they going to move potentially um, Ezra Cleveland and try to get a look at him in a spot where you wouldn't otherwise, if you didn't have that flexibility of not having Riley reef. And this is a game that doesn't matter. So I guess, Ben, what's the argument of moving him potentially and getting him a a look there. And what do you think they're actually going to do? 
Well, I think they're going to play it very quiet all week. I mean, the fact that we don't have access to practice anymore uh, will allow them largely to play it like a college game. And uh, as Mike McCoy can tell you, competitive advantage in meaningless games matters. So um, I, I don't <laughs> think we'll find out. But that's a deep cut. But That's a, that's uh, a poll from what preseason, 2016? Uh, put it this way. If anybody can, uh, can fish that one out and, and comment, <laughs> post a comment in the replies to this, and we'll uh, make sure your next question gets answered in the podcast. How's that? <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know if they'll do it. I, I, you can make an argument for putting him a left tackle, but I guess the question is, do you still see him as a left tackle or do you say we're going to keep him at guard because he's played well there and we like to kind of keep developing what we have. I mean, Gary Kubiak talked about it's a long season and we may get there to see as for Cleveland. I think your best indicator will be uh, what Kubiak says about it tomorrow. Cause he's usually the one that's a little more willing to um, be forthright about this stuff and not treat it like it's uh, kind of win or lose the game. So I think in the end, though, I, I guess if I'm betting, I, I bet they keep Cleveland there and then maybe put Rashad Hill at one of the tackle spots. I mean, I think probably a left tackle and, and keep Brian O'Neill where he is. I, I think it's an opportunity if you want to see people in different spots. But I just I don't get the sense that they're going to mess with it a whole lot for this year. If you're going to do it, it would seem more their speed to say, let's start that process in OTAs and then go from there. Yeah, as, as much as I would like to see him do it, I just don't think they're going to for all the reasons you laid out. And also because they've been practicing with Rashad Hill as that swing tackle, they're not giving, would it be fair to Ezra to, to throw him out there at that spot, having not had the practice uh, consistently at that spot, um, even though he played it throughout college at Boise State? Um, I just don't know if we're going to see necessarily a change on the O-line. What, what do you think about going into Yes. That? I think that's a good point. You know, he's been playing one thing all year, getting used to kind of that spot. Is there really a whole lot of value in being like, okay, now you're, now you're going to be playing tackle for one game as opposed to, you know, an off season decision. And then you're going through OTA mini camp with him potentially as a tackle kind of his more natural position. So I think that's probably, you know, the, the more logical thing you'd see what Rashad Hill probably is that, swing tackle opposite O'Neal with, you know, with Ezra Cleveland still in there. I, th- I think that probably makes more sense. Even if I'd be a little bit curious to see him, uh, I don't think it whole, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And two, we're going to, I don't know how much else in terms of changes we're going to see because with Kyle Rudolph being still sidelined, he was put on injured reserve this week. Um, we should talk about again, whether or not this means kind of the end of his tenure because they're in a spot where I think Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin, they played very, very well. Um, in his stead. And they've gotten a lot of attention because obviously you see Jefferson, you see Thielen grab all the attention from opposing secondaries. Um, that's left the middle of the field a little more open for some of these tight ends. And I think you're seeing Kirk at least throw it toward those guys a little bit more um, than he was with Rudolph. I know Rudolph had one good game um, where he was really involved in Chicago. Um, but outside of that, we just haven't seen that Cousins to Rudolph connection the same way we're seeing it with Irv Smith um, and seeing it with Tyler Conklin right now in this offense. So I guess, Ben, is there anything else that can't already, that hasn't already been said um, about Rudolph moving forward and kind of what this means for him? Well, it's interesting you bring up the, the Cousins to Rudolph connection. Doesn't it always feel like that's been lacking a little bit? I mean, Rudolph certainly has produced in the red zone, but we've heard it from him 
kind of obliquely at different times. It's never seemed like the number of targets you expected would happen, have happened with Cousins the same way. I mean, it, it seems like every year that there's a new coordinator that comes in, we all do the offseason story on the guy that's really going to benefit from this is Kyle Rudolph. We did it with North Turner. We did it with John Filippo. We did it with Stefanski to some degree. We did because it was his old position coach. We did it with Gary Kubiak. It hasn't really happened that way. And, and Cousins, his percentage of targets that go to his top two receivers, I have to think, is among the higher number in the league among quarterbacks. I mean, whether it's been Diggs and Thielen, they've had two good receivers this entire time here, but he has leaned very, very heavily on his top two receivers in terms of target share over his time as a quarterback. And I think the connection with Rudolph has never quite been what perhaps we expected it would be. And certainly it has been in the red zone uh, with the most prominent example being in the, in the playoffs against the saints last year. But um yeah, it feels to me like for as as long of a run as he's had and for as durable as he's been and as much of a um, beloved figure in the community as he's been, I when they're tight on cap space, it, it's a little bit hard to see that they would bring him back, especially when you feel like you have two guys you can, can go to that are – I mean, this is a little further down the road than it was when Irv Smith was a rookie. You, you now have a couple of years with Irv Smith. You have a couple of years with Tyler Conklin it would seem to me that we're headed that way, but they have made affordances for Kyle Rudolph before. So um, wouldn't be totally stunned if they brought him back, but I, I guess if I'm betting on it, I would lean further on the side of um, this very well could be it for him here. Yeah. And if it is, he goes out with the fewest touchdowns he's ever had in an NFL season, just one this year, um, which was the remarkable one handed catch. Was it Indianapolis or Tennessee? Yeah, that was an unbelievable catch. And that's the kind of stuff where, like, he just doesn't get enough chances. I don't think – if we're talking about just Kyle and evaluating him, I don't think he's necessarily done as a player. I, no, I, I don't either. If they can find a way to make the money work, I don't see why they wouldn't want to keep him around as a, as a part-time player. It's just a matter of is that what he wants and is it financially going to be what he wants? And I guess, Mike, what do you think about just Kyle as a player and, and whether or not – and if this is kind of it for his tenure, just kind of about the 10 years that he's been here. Yeah, it's, you know – it's interesting because it was kind of just when you, as you guys were talking, I was looking up his numbers a little bit like 2016 when obviously the Vikings couldn't pass protect against me, you, Ben, and, you know, two of our other coworkers, he had 132 targets. I mean, that's probably the prime of his athletic career too. He's like in his mid to late twenties. He's, he's a little bit more, you know, right in that kind of zone. Then, then, you know, the next season he's got 81 targets. He catches career high eight touchdowns in 2017 you know case Keenan did a good job finding him 2018 Kirk Cousins first year he did have 82 targets and a 64 catches but again that was the year where they threw the ball like 18 million times over 600 attempts for Cousins that year then you go down to 48 last year and just 37 this year albeit in only 12 games and he's he's had been you know had been pretty durable hadn't missed a game in five years um so I so Kramer jinxed him yeah, he did. I I like him as a player. He's a he's a really good dude. I just I've, I've just been kind of impressed with Tyler Conklin. He's got more receiving juice than I thought he had. I didn't realize he was a little. He's kind of a little bit more dynamic in the in the receiving game. He's just a little bit more agile. You know, Rudolph has always been kind of that you know the 
not like wide, but he's kind of got that basketball frame where you just kind of think he can box you out and you just kind of feel like he's going to catch the ball. So As he once described it, my separation is more vertically than just that's able to get away true. from people. <laughs> it's it's absolutely. Nice thing. I'm slow, but at least I'm tall. Right. And he's, you know, you know, one of their, you know, obviously one of their good guys, um, you know, very accessible. It's an, it'll be an interesting decision. It kind of, it, it's, I, I would think that in a year where money wasn't quite as tight or they were feeling like, you know, they were, if, if their path was a little bit clear, the answer might be a little bit easier, but I, he, he could be just kind of a, a victim of other people claiming his role and him being a little bit too expensive to stay here. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't be like heartbroken because I think, you know, 10 years is a good run for anybody on any team, but you know, it'd be, it probably would be unlike them and that it would be ending earlier than, you know, it had for veterans like, you know, Brian Robinson or Chad Greenway guys, they managed to keep around into their well into their thirties, um, you know, on restructured deals. I, I think basically it'll come down to this. He has been a blocking tight end the last two years, more so than he had been in the past. Do you value a blocking tight end at the number it may take to keep him? And does he want to be a blocking tight end enough to take a pay cut and stay? I, I think it's probably going to come down to that. Is The role in Minnesota, I think, at this point, is probably fairly well-defined. He, he can contribute to the passing game some. Um, they see him more in blocking situations to the point where they have taken him off the field in, in some more obvious passing situations this year. It's been either Smith and Conklin, or I think even Brandon Dillon a little bit in that game that they had to use him when they were down a receiver, like probably when Thielen was out. Um, still a great red zone target, but do you value that at, I mean, it's supposed to be nine and a half million on the cap next year. So do you value it at six or seven million? Or are you looking to go cheaper than that? And if so, where does he want to be? I mean, I, I don't think the role is going to change a whole lot. So the question is, what's the value on that? And where does he see himself? I think it'll come down to that. Yeah, and I think what, and, and is he a good enough block? Is he a good enough blocker for that that role exclusively? Even if he's gotten better, is that David Morgan? Yeah, I mean, he's you know, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think Kyle's played well enough, and especially I think they think in a limited role he can play well enough in terms of not overplaying him. I, I remember Gary Kubiak bringing that up. I can't remember if it was this offseason or the last – during the middle of last season, they thought kind of um, resting him a little bit would get more out of him in terms of the role that they want, and I think that meant the run blocking, really, um, because they're clearly not using him as a receiver, as you guys mentioned. And Irv Smith already started playing more than Kyle when they were both healthy. And this, this started happening really in October. And so they, they had a plan this year to start getting Irv more involved. And, and frankly, I think it might have gotten sidetracked because Irv had such a bad start to the season. Um, I think they, that kind of got a little delayed in terms of when Irv started playing. And then, of course, the injuries. So with all that said, you had Irv kind of having a really disrupted second season and Kyle still wasn't a part of the offense. And of course the injury in December took, took a lot out of that as well. Um, but to me, that just says, yeah, he's going to have to be okay with such a bit role. Um, and if you're the Vikings, you can sell him on at least that the snaps will be here. You can sell him on the fact that the snaps will be here in this offense because you know, they're going to use tight ends in Gary Kubiak's system. It's just a matter as Ben said, is it going to be what you want to do? And is, are you going to get compensated like you think you should for it? Because right now he's a top five paid tight end, and I can't see how they justify that yeah. considering um, the financial situations they're in. So, 
Um, ben, what about Riley Reef? We just got done talking about kind of Ezra and whether or not they view him as a left tackle. Um, Ezra's played decent enough at guard that I wonder if they start viewing him as a long-term solution there. And this is not a team that really has the luxury of saying, you know what, we can, we can move Ezra and just hope it works out at guard. Cause at that point they, they don't have two guards that could get it done because I don't think Dakota Dozier's one either. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think you have to figure out the guard situation going forward because yeah, if you move Cleveland, then you need to, because I mean, Dakota Dozier has not, probably played well enough this year to be in the long-term plan as anything more than a backup that you could put in if you need to, if he's back, I think it's in that capacity. So yeah, you need to, if you move Ezra Cleveland and the other question with reef, I think is going to be, what do you do with him? Because he's been one, I think for a lot of the year that we've thought, okay, um, given where his salary is and given where they are going to be cap wise, that's a, that's a potential cap casualty. But the way he's played, I mean, he hasn't missed a snap and you know, may not miss a snap if, if the reason for being on the COVID list is not related to him having COVID. If he can come back in time, he can still be out there. So he's, he's been durable, I think, more so than most of his career. And I think for the most part, he's played pretty well. I mean, probably more so than I think he thought he would be this year. So the question with him, I think, is going to be, I mean, they gave him a pay cut this year, and then potentially he gets $2 million of that back if he plays on Sunday. I tend to think if it's within a snap or two, you probably just pay him anyway. I mean, I, I think that'll kind of tell you a little bit about where you're going to be with him because if they want him to be back, it's it's a goodwill thing to say, we're not going to screw you over because you we ran 68 snaps and you missed it by two or whatever is the math is going to turn out to be. But the the discussion with him, I think it's interesting because he's probably played well enough to make the case that I don't deserve to take a pay cut as a left tackle when I had the year that I had and I'm not 35 years old. I think he's 31. So, I mean, not, he's not going to be David Bakhtiari or um, Taylor Lawan or some of these guys that are at the top of the league, Trent Williams as a left tackle, but he's been, I think, certainly above average this year and above average left tackles don't make $6 million a year. They make more than that. So I think he's going to have a case to make that you need to pay me. And it's going to be interesting to see how those negotiations go, because I, I certainly think they want it back. And from what I've heard, he wants to be here because he knows what the offense is going to be. It's a, a system he likes. It's a coach. He likes it's he's from South Dakota. So it's close to home. I think that there are some of those things that work in, in the favor of him staying, but do you keep him at full price or do you say we're going to try to cut it? And then what happens at that point? Yeah. And so this is where they're at um, with reef that restructured contract um, kept one year extra on it in 2021. As we've talked about before, it does include a roster bonus that is due in the middle of March that forces the Vikings to make a decision that we're talking about and whether yes. or not to keep him at this price in the middle of March. Um, but with this, Ben, as you're talking about, if it sounds like the Vikings do want to keep Riley Reef long-term, let's he's, he's 32 years old this year. He'll be 33 next year. Let's say they think he's got three more years or they want to try and do some kind of deal like that. They can get him in for 2021 at a reasonable price on the cap and just have to basically mortgage whatever money they give him under the next two years 
of let's say a hypothetical contract extension. So they can pay him, they can keep him and they can keep him at a reasonable cap price for next year if they can find a way to make it work. And as we know with this front office, we've seen them do that. Yeah, a lot of this I think is going to be when we get a better sense of where the cap is going to go over the next few years, that's going to determine a lot of it because you hear things coming out now about that they're not going to necessarily put all of the losses from fans not being in the stands onto next year's cap that you try to smooth it out over the next few years, which makes it easier to plan for 2021, but it also makes it a little harder to do long-term deals and sort of budget with the same types of big increases in the cap that you've come to expect. Now, the other piece of this is that the TV deals are coming up soon. And especially as we hear all this chatter about a 17 game regular season potentially happening next year, the only way that can happen is if the NFL does a new TV deal, at least one new TV deal before next year. And I think they have another year to, to get those figured out. I think they expire after 2021, but if they get one of those done, that injects new cash, and then you have a 17-game season that potentially boosts the revenue back up, you know, into <laughs> into the future. And, and certainly, I think that if owners are talking about it this openly, I think it's going to happen because I think they want it to happen because there's money involved in it. Same reason we have seven playoff teams in both of these conferences this year because there's more money in four playoff games, and um, that's what drives all of this more so than player safety, frankly. Um, so if that happens, it makes the revenue picture a little bit more optimistic going down the road. But I, I think the big question is going to be, how does this all look and how can teams plan their books you know, with all these different scenarios? That's going to be an interesting thing to watch this offseason. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's take some Twitter questions. We've got about 15 minutes and we can wrap this up. Uh, we got plenty of them. So thank you guys for checking or for sending those along. Um, we will continue to do these. Uh, podcast through the off season and continue to take your questions. Well, we will not stop completely. It'll just basically go from, I don't know, we'll do it like a few times a month, basically a couple times a month. Um, we got one question here. I'll start with run Bayou 79 asks, does an embarrassing loss to the Detroit lions prompt any changes or does Dalvin cook being out give Mike Zimmer an excuse? Changes to the front office. Is that what we're, I, I think he's just, well, he said give Zim an excuse. So he would seem to be asking about Mike Zimmer and whether or not his job status is in jeopardy at all. I don't think anybody's going anywhere, frankly. Um, I, I think this is going to be looked at as this was a year of transition, um, which the way they talked about the year beforehand was not that way. I mean, they were talking, taking the next step. We heard getting over the hump. We heard Super Bowl. We heard and that we have the stability on offense that'll help us get through this. But I think in the, the after the fact sort of assessment of it, it's going to be talked about that way. And I think that will buy people time. I think the question will be how long is the leash if you can't be better next year. But I do think they'll, I think everybody will get the opportunity to come back. And, and when I say everybody, I mean the, the big decision makers, Zimmer, Spielman, um, you know, really those two are the ones that people care about. I, I could see a new special teams coordinator. I think that could be one thing that could, happens out of this. But I think the people that call the shots are going to be back. I, I It would seem hard for me to believe that they blow it up after this year, given the fact that, yeah, everybody had to deal with the pandemic. Everybody has to deal with injuries. I mean, I think that's a little bit of where some of this 
has to be countered is that you're not the only team that had to deal with these things. But at the same time, they did use this year to overhaul their defense and they didn't have the time that they normally would to work through it. So I, I think the really in the end, whether all of us in the public on the outside, as teams like to talk about what we think of this matters a little in terms of perception, but ultimately not that much. It's going to come down to what the Wolves think and whether they buy that, view of things or whether they see it differently but i i tend to think that everybody's back well i i think you're right i think we've talked about this along the way but i I did one thing kind of occurred to me as i rethought through the zimmer quote last week about this is the worst defense i've ever had do you do you read that as anything more than just this is the circumstance of this season this is just how the year played out with all the injuries or did you read that as Rick Spielman didn't give me the greatest players this year and like a little bit of a, a wedge there between the, between the coach and the general manager. I, I guess I didn't see it necessarily that way, but it's also possible. I, I don't want to sit here and say, Oh no, there's no way that that's what that meant because that does tend to be how these things go is <laughs> when things go bad and people start fearing for their jobs. And I don't think anybody's in that spot, but when people feel like they're at that point, it does start to be, no, he didn't give me what I need. And then the GM is saying, no, I, I did what I could do. He just didn't coach him the right way. I mean, that's, that's basically how this went down in the end with Leslie Frazier and, and Rick Spielman. The last time we went through that. And I, I don't think we're there, like I said, but um, I, I guess I didn't take it that way necessarily, but it's probably worth keeping in the back of your mind. what do you think of that, Andrew? I, yeah, I didn't take it that way only because we've also heard Mike Zimmer talk about how he thinks both of the rookie corners that Spielman drafted, Dantzler and, and uh, Gladney, are the corners for the future. We've heard him praise DJ Wanham uh, a lot for a fourth-round rookie. Um, we've, we've heard him praise a lot of these defensive rookies, and I think it's more so the fact that they're bringing in Todd Davis off the street. They're claiming Chris Jones, who can't make a tackle off waivers from the Lions. Um, they have the two safeties who have not played good games back to back. It seems like th- those guys are always having sporadic outings stuck between all this inexperience. I think there's so many excuses with the injuries too to throw in there um, that I didn't take it as a shot to that just because we've heard him specifically praise this draft class defensively that they've gotten. And I'm not saying the entire thing, but we have heard him praise even Chris Boyd, who was a seventh round pick two years ago. Um, there's just a lot of guys that they've gotten through the draft recently that have helped them. I think it's more of a matter of maybe they haven't made the in-season moves that would help them, but what can you do really? What teams are making in-season moves that are really shoring up defenses? Um, if anything, it's just, to me, it's on a coaching staff that hasn't gotten, hasn't gotten enough out of these guys. You haven't gotten enough out of Jaleel Johnson, Jalen Holmes, guys who have been in the building for four years. Buddy Odenham has been up and down. Yeah, guys that were positioned to really step in. And so I don't know if it's a shot at the scouting as much as it should just be, hey, it's just not a good defense, and it's as much on the coaching, in my opinion. To that point, though, they haven't drafted a defensive lineman in the top three rounds since 2015, since Daniel Hunter. Like, they haven't they haven't really invested in the front four, and it's kind of showing this year. Isn't that their thing, though? Oh, well, they, they did spend on Sheldon Richardson for one year, but isn't that their thing with Andre Patterson? That's their thing, where they, they say, we don't need to, basically. We can just bring in these projects. Yeah, that's their thing, though. They want talent at pass. Well, they do want talent at pass rushers. It's funny. They just they say they can mold it, but yet they want the, the highest talent at corner because they can't stop drafting those guys um, highly. 
And then clearly they view receiver, another weapon in the passing game is one they need to draft highly because they took Justin Jefferson. So um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I didn't take it as a shot at the scouting. It's just kind of, it kind of reminds me of when they couldn't stop, they hit on a couple of offensive line projects late and then they couldn't stop thinking they could replicate it. And, you know, they hit on Everson Griffin, who was a fourth round pick, Neil Hunter is a third round pick and they think we can do this every time. I don't know. Ben, make your point. I just, I'm a little frustrated with the, <laughs> the lack of investment in the defensive line for a defensive coach. Maybe they needed to do a study. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the thing I was going to say before that uh, callback that again, if you get it, let us know. Um, the thing I was going to say is that they, the way they've made moves over the last few years, I think it's, it gets hard to, do the typical uh, front office versus coaching staff kind of bifurcation here. I, they, you hear Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer talk so much about the way that the coaching staff and the scouting department look at players has been in such lockstep that they know exactly what one is looking for. And, and yet, you know, that they, they work it together. And I, I think a lot of the moves they've made, very much have the coaching staff's fingerprints on them, especially in terms of the defense. Andrew brought it up with the guys that they have not drafted in the first few rounds in terms of defensive linemen. You certainly see it with corners. I think you see it with the way they've approached um, you know, the guys that they want on the defensive line, the body types, the, the types of, of players they look for in a lot of these spots has been very much in the Mike Zimmer mold. So whether he's making the decisions or not, I, I don't think that's the case, but his fingerprints have been on enough of these as well as things like Anthony Barr bringing him back that it gets a little harder to me to separate one from the other. We are remiss in mentioning that, um, and not mentioning, excuse me, that Yannick Ngakwe is the highest draft pick they've spent on a defensive lineman. That's true. <laughs> we, we forgot. Sharif Floyd. Yeah, well, Sharif Floyd, but since Mike Zimmer's been here in 2014, it is, yeah. and they use Anthony Barr as kind of a, a outside edge rushing linebacker sometimes. So, um, but he's a stack linebacker. He's and he's not a defensive lineman. And it's Yannick Ngakwe. That's the highest. Uh, uh, let's get to some more Twitter questions. We got another one. Speaking of corners, Jake asks, "What are the chances they target a solid cornerback in free agency, one that could start opposite of Cameron Dantzler and allow Jeff Gladney to stay?" in the slot um before we get to you guys i i guess i'll just say those guys as ben was mentioning with the johnny manzel uh, money <laughs> finger money sign um rubbing the fingers together i i think it's going to cost a lot of money and it always does which is why you don't see them spend on corners and free agency which is why you don't see them spend to keep their own corners when you see trey waynes get 14 million a year elsewhere um i just don't see that happening I, they could bring in a, a veteran uh, on a short deal that they like, like they've done many times before to help compete, help fill depth. Um, but to me, I would be surprised if they brought anybody in for starter level money when we've heard Zimmer praise Gladney and Dantzler enough. I really think those two guys are going to be the out, not only the, the slot corner with Gladney, but those guys will start outside. And then they're just really looking for a third corner to add to that group. Yeah, I certainly need another one. I mean, you can't, go forward with just those two. And I don't think Mike Hughes is back. I mean, I, I think the odds of, of him being here next year is not something I'd bet on. I, I think there are concerns with whether he can be part of the, the long-term mix just because of health reasons. It's valid. I mean, it, that, that neck issue he's had 
has become something that's lingered for a long time. And I, I think they're potentially worried about his long-term viability. I mean, that's, that's, it is what it is, but I, I don't see him as a guy they're counting on necessarily going into 2021, whether he's here or not. I, I don't think they're going to go in and saying, well, we got Mike Hughes back. We're banking on that. So I think they have to address it, but you're right. If, if $14 million is the going rate for a guy like Trey Waynes, they don't have it. And I'm frankly not sure that that's, I mean, there's, there's getting to be so many of these, these premium positions, quarterback, cornerback, pass rusher, tackle, that it's just so expensive in the free agent market that you're, you know, you're, you're almost pushed toward draft and develop is the only affordable way to do it because you have to pay so much money for the ones that do get to the market that it's hard to do that and, and make the rest of your roster work. I know a good one who's going to be in the market. He's the number six corner in pro football focus this year, Xavier Rhodes. <laughs> no, but we were, we were in such a, a hurry to, to move on from what they had last year. You sure realize what, you know, what veteran play looked like, at least. Like when Trey Waynes made a mistake, it was usually a 17-yard gain, not a 50-yard gain. I really think they could benefit from you know some sort of veteran presence in in that group you know someone like a, a Terrence Newman type is is obviously kind of almost too perfect because he's was still playing at a reasonably high level but it didn't cost a lot he already knew the system I don't really know who that player is but they could sure use him because someone to anchor that you know one of those spots and you know not be someone that's just going to shadow everybody but someone that gives you a little bit more experience there would, would be a, would be a pretty big boom yes they are going to need help um cause if it is a situation where mike hughes isn't back as ben was saying it's Hol- well no holton hill's already gone excuse me it's chris boyd uh chris jones is a guy who's on the team right now maybe they'll decide to keep <laughs> it's um, very b-rob uh before they played washington in whatever year that was reference yeah. Yeah, we yeah, have a lot of callbacks today. We'll add that to the list too. Playing, playing former Vikings draft pick TJ Clemmings on Washington, and him just saying, "Well, he's a, def- you know, he's an offensive tackle," and then <laughs> afterwards saying, "My mama taught me if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all," or something like that. Yep. yep. Uh, it was great. It was great. B Rob was great. Um. Anyway, they do need another corner because it's thin, as you might have heard. And maybe they do bring in a veteran guy. I think it's just going to depend on the fit and free agency, and then we'll talk too as the months come how free agency is going to look. Um, because it wasn't really affected by COVID last year. It kind of came like all the, everything shut down kind of after NFL free agency. So um, this year will be kind of a new thing with that. Anyway, um, Scott asks about PJ Fleck. Always thought PJ Fleck would leave for another school and was skeptical he'd translate to the NFL. Um, But what do you guys think of the NFL network tweet mentioning PJ Fleck was drawing at least some interest in NFL coaching? Uh, what do you guys think? Is it elite? <laughs> Mike is looking something up here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at the original tweet from from Palisero. It, it I we we even talked about it a little bit this morning. It was well, a handful of college coaches are drawing interest for NFL head coaching jobs, and here's an interesting one: Minnesota's PJ Fleck. I'm told at least one team wants to interview Fleck, who is one of the only current FBS head coaches to both play and coach. In the NFL, um, I think PJ Flex is a good college coach. I think he can. I think what he did at Minnesota last season and going eleven and two, um, beating Auburn, he's, he's 
what he does works at the college level. This year was all messed up. I don't hold a three and four season in the middle of COVID college football against him. Um, I cannot really imagine him being a head coach in the NFL. I just don't see how that energy translates to um, professionals as opposed to college players. And I, I chuckled a little bit at the notion that he's, he is technically a former NFL player. He played one game, the season finale in 2004 for the two, two and 14 San Francisco 49ers, where he returned one punt and made one tackle. So again, that is a so much more NFL experience than I will ever have. But this is not a this is not so much an eight to ten year NFL career so much as it was an impressive cup of coffee that did demonstrate, you know, an ability to at least make it that far with you know limited size, uh, but to to play that up as an attribute as well. I got I got to say I didn't know I didn't know it was time for him to get the contract extension already. <laughs> Did he just get one? I seriously, the one? drops on two days. Oh, this is how this is how it works. This is how it works. You get the rumors just, thrown out about there, hey, he's going to get a head coaching interview and then the school's got to lock him down. All right, guys, let's move on. We got a we got a question from you like that and I can't tell if he's being facetious or not. I think he is. He says Trent Williams is having an all-pro year. What would it look like if we traded for him? Look like last year. Because <laughs> um, they did try to trade for Trent Williams, they did, and it didn't work out. And we don't that one. We didn't really figure out the the whole mystery too. We just have Trent Williams denying that he turned down, uh, denying that he was the one saying he didn't want to come to Minnesota, and then yeah. Rick Spielman saying, "I know what happened. We don't. I don't want to talk about it." And so we didn't really figure out what happened there. All we know is that the end result was a deal was on the table for Trent Williams to come to Minnesota during the draft before they took Ezra Cleveland and they, and it didn't come together. And then they took Ezra Cleveland. And then shortly after the draft pick, Trent Williams was shipped to San Francisco. So Ben, I don't see it happening um, a second time around. Well, no. And, and what would you trade for him? I mean, why, why would the 49ers be in a hurry to give him up? Kirk I mean, Cousins? <laughs> well, that was no, the, rumors get started. That's where I was yes. going with it, but yes. um, no, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, I don't know. I just don't know why the 49ers would be interested in doing it. And those things don't start from nowhere in terms of you know whether it was him or his agent that was communicating that he didn't want to be here. I don't know. It probably doesn't matter all that much. It's you know kind of splitting hairs, but it didn't seem like a negotiation process that seeing I mean from what I heard too it, it just seemed like Williams camp was kind of mucking things up that I, I think people with the Vikings thought it was going to get done and then the, the goalposts kind of kept moving so it didn't strike me as one that anybody's going to be terribly eager to come back to that bargaining table I just I don't I don't think I see that happening yeah all right guys we got any more questions I mean, there's more, but <laughs> how many of them do we want? To it looks like Mike's into? got one. We burned through a bunch of them. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find one more good one as we, uh, as we, uh, we already did the, the Browning Stanley question. Now here's, here's, a, here's a draft question. It's probably a good enough one to, to end on. Um, there's a few draft questions. So this, this kind of summarizes a lot of the draft questions. Any chance Rick comes to the realization sometimes quality beats quantity in the draft? Or will we get all the seventh rounders again? Having all these draft picks last year and many de- developmental guys from years past, 
were exposed as okay at best, or why are they on the roster at worst? Um, you're going to get all the seventh rounders again this year because they have, don't they have like 12 picks and 11 of them are third round or later? Yeah. Um, which you can still get value in the third and fourth round. I don't want to downplay those picks, but they, they do have a habit of, what they have 15 picks last year? 15. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I hate, I hate to break it to Vikings fans, but they're actually more likely to trade back from 11, 12, wherever they end up in the draft to collect a second round pick or another third and then package that maybe to move up into the second round or whatever. They're they're already getting close. Yeah. They're more likely to they're more likely to use the top pick as weapon as, as ammo to get more um, capital for day two because day two draft pick is currently sitting in Jacksonville. Yeah, and they also need to fill out the roster. I mean, they yeah. you've got like forty four players under contract that'll change, but the one hundred eighty eight million dollars or whatever they have of cap space is tied up in forty four players. It's not like they have sixty five players under contract for next year. They need bodies to fill out the roster so and those bodies probably need to be cheap and that tends to mean the quantity over quality approach in the draft and we've also heard Spielman say that these things are lottery tickets and the more chances you have at it the better chance you have on, on hitting on something so I, I don't know that that is completely borne out that you are going to be better off with these late round picks I, I think they probably have overvalued that in some ways I think the analytics would probably show that but that is how they've gone about it. And I, I don't see why in draft number, what would this be? It'll be his 10th as the GM, his 15th or so with the team. I, I don't see what that's going to magically change this year. Yeah, I think we have a pattern by now. We didn't even talk about how I overcame playing against Alvin Kamara in my fantasy playoffs to, to win. Did? Yes, because I had Devontae Adams and uh, Stephon Diggs. That would do it. <laughs> that was a heck of a duo for this year. Wow. Good on yeah. you. <laughs> um, well, the Vikings... quarterback? Kyler, I had Kyler Murray. I had a bad. Okay. Yeah. I had, I had Gronk and those two receivers. They scored like eight touchdowns total. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, the, uh, the Vikings did not overcome Alvin Kamara's. They did not. No, I was, I was in a better position to overcome. That. In fact, they probably helped you. Well, no, I guess they, yeah, if you were playing against them, they, they tried to, they tried to ruin your Christmas, but yes. Yep. All right. Um, well, guys, Mike Rand would not let the Grinch steal Christmas. All right, guys, that that'll be enough for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check back Sunday after the season finale in Detroit. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>